0: It's good to be with you. Last Sunday, we began a new teaching series in the book of Galatians called No Other Gospel. Uh, We focused on the who, what, where, when, and why of the book of Galatians to build context, uh, to create support for this series. It's important that if you're going to walk through a book in the Bible that you actually know who wrote it and why they wrote it and who they wrote it to and the purpose of the book and these things. And we covered that last Sunday. We also walked through chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 and we discovered how Paul preached the, he's the author, he preached the true gospel even through his simple greeting. And uh, really, the purpose of this letter was to bring the Galatians back to the true gospel because they were under the influence of false teachers who were teaching a distorted gospel. And uh, before he even really gets to his correction to the Galatians, he's preaching the gospel in his hello. And we learned that last week. He pointed to the resurrection in his greeting. He pointed to how Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Uh, gospel, all through his hello, uh, we learn that the phrase grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we, first of all, we learn that we see that in nine of his epistles. That's how he opens up nine of his epistles. But really, ultimately, it was Paul's way of saying gospel to you, gospel to you, because grace establishes peace with God the Father, and this grace comes to us through Jesus Christ Alone. We also learned that the false teachers who had infiltrated the Galatian churches, the Judaizers, that's their nickname or title, they were attacking Paul's apostolic authority, the fact that he's an apostle, they were attacking that and undermining that and calling that into question in an effort to get to his teachings and diminish his teachings and ultimately replace his teachings with a different gospel, which is. Faith, believing in Christ, plus what you do. Faith plus works. That's the false gospel they were preaching. should have been faith alone. And this is why Paul identifies himself in the opening line as an apostle. And he says, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. This is why he identifies himself as an apostle. I am a legitimate apostle, he says. And this is why he goes on to defend his apostleship throughout the epistle, throughout the letter. In the next section, Paul expresses his bewilderment, his confusion at how quickly the Galatians are abandoning the true gospel, and he issues a solid warning to all who do this. Please take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 1. Our verses for this morning will be 6 through 9. Once more, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I have entitled this sermon, Let Him Be Accursed. Let Him Be Accursed. Let's pray for God's help before we get to work. Father, we ask for your help to open our eyes, ears, minds, hearts to the truth. Father, convict us on the truth of the gospel. Help us to understand that it is and always has been and always will be a grace through faith deal, not a grace plus faith plus works. We cannot earn our salvation. It is by grace alone through faith alone. Help us to understand this truth yet again this weekend. And I'm I'm reminded right in this very moment, Father, of how Martin Luther preached this all the time, and, and even his congregate said, Good Lord, why do you keep talking to us about this? Why do you keep going over this with us? And Luther's reply was right on the money. He said, because you keep forgetting it, and you go back to trying to earn your way with God. It's a grace thing. And I think that that if this was happening 500 years ago, it certainly can happen these days among many, many believers, even me. And So help us to know the true gospel today. Preach it to us through Your Word, through these simple verses. We love you and commit our time to you. We ask that you be glorified now as we exposit your word. We pray in Christ's name, amen. We can pick up where we left off last Sunday. Please look at verse 6 with me. Chapter 1, verse 6. This is what Paul says next after his initial greeting where he, he puts the gospel before them once again. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Paul could hardly comprehend that the Galatians were already abandoning his apostolic teaching, the gospel. It took only 18 months for these churches to exchange the the true gospel for a different gospel, for a distorted gospel. He plants the churches, and within 18 months, they're already going south. They're already going with another gospel because of the influence of these Judaizers. And he marvels at it. It kind of blows his mind. Notice how he says that you are so quickly. Boy, it didn't take you any time at all. As soon as the lights on my vehicle got out of sh- eye shot, you were going with another gospel. He can't believe it. And he uses the, the Greek word thalmazo Uh, which means to be greatly astonished. I think the the ESV here renders it well with the word astonished, but it can mean astounded. We see that in the CJB. Uh, I think that's the contemporary Jewish Bible. We see it as amazed in the NASB, surprised in the NLV, shocked in the CEV. I think that's good. Paul was shocked that you are so quickly abandoning the true gospel. And it even is used or translated, transliterated into English as Marvel in the King James and New King James, which are great translations. These Judaizers were teaching these baby Christians in these Galatian churches, these Gentile Christians. And what a Gentile Christian is, this is a non-Jewish Christian. If you're a Jewish person and you convert to Christ, you're a Messianic Jew. If you're Uh, non-jewish then you're just a gentile christian this is the way that they thought of themselves then not that it was all that productive but these Judaisers were teaching these baby christians that gentile non-jewish people who came to christ they had to become jewish before they could be legitimate christians you've got to convert to judaism and become like me You've got to be circumcised if you're a male. You've got to obey the Mosaic law if you're male or female. You've got to become as Jewish as you possibly can be until you are going to be considered a true Christian. This was their heresy. This was their lie. This is the the apostasy they were propagating. You had to first convert to Judaism through circumcision. You had to be made righteous through obedience to the Mosaic law and obedience to the traditions of the Jewish people at that time. That's how you could become a true Christian. So the different gospel the false teachers preached is salvation comes to us by faith plus circumcision plus obedience to the Mosaic, uh, Mosaic law plus obedience to the Jewish traditions. I mean, that's how a person they taught was saved. You had to do all of this stuff plus believe. That's the false gospel these false teachers were teaching and Very sadly, they were extremely successful in the Galatian churches, even in the Corinthian churches, because the Galatian believers were, what does Paul say, quickly deserting him. Whom is he speaking of? Namely, God, who had called them in the grace of Christ. The very calling that they received from the Father to come into Christ and to receive salvation was through pure grace, not through their efforts or works. And all of this takes place within 18 months, 18 months. They had turned from grace to, Paul says, a different gospel, a different gospel. So, so when we say that, that the gospel is about, salvation is about grace through faith and we add anything to it, we have left the actual gospel and we are preaching a different gospel. We're not preaching a hybrid of the true gospel. We're not believing a hybrid or a variation or a flavor like Baskin-Robbins. We're going now with a different gospel, a gospel that these Bibles do not teach. It's imperative that we understand this today because we're under the impression that, well, if somebody does this and there's some Jesus in there and that, well, then that's still gospel. No, no, no. He says it's a different one. You can't add works soon as you add works, it becomes something else. All of this takes place, transpires within 18 months. They go from grace to a different gospel. For crying out loud, the ink was still wet on their baptism certificates. Uh, They didn't have those. We do that kind of stuff these days. But you get the idea there that it was so soon and so quick. And Paul is just blown away by this. Why not in five years? That still stinks, but it makes more sense. 18 months, you've already walked, you're have already you walking away from Christ to the law. You've been delivered from the law. I like what John MacArthur wrote. He said, The grace of Christ is God's free and sovereign act of love and mercy in granting salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus, apart from anything men are or can do and of his sustaining that salvation to glorification. It is absurd to accept a gracious salvation and then endeavor to maintain righteousness through human efforts and through ceremonies and through rituals. This is precisely what these Judaising false teachers were teaching these people to do, and it's precisely what these Galatian believers were embracing. It's precisely what Paul condemns and says, different gospel, false gospel, corrupt gospel, bad gospel. It's not gospel. That's verse 6. Verse 7. And he says, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul really here in the beginning of this verse is just sort of clarifying what he meant at the end of verse 6. He doesn't want the Galatians to become more confused by thinking that there's actually another gospel because he says there isn't another one. What he's really teaching them is that there there is the true gospel and there are distorted versions of it and there are false versions of it. He is saying here in verse 7, the beginning, there are no other actual gospels there is one true gospel and then he says but there are however some who like to trouble believers by distorting the actual gospel of jesus christ the true gospel in the galatian churches it was these judasers these religious fake religious teachers and fake religious leaders in the early church those who taught a combination of god's grace plus human effort were actually called judasers uh, the word Judaiser comes from a greek verb meaning to live according to jewish customs the word appears in galatians chapter 2 verse 14 where paul describes how he confronted peter for forcing gentile christians to judas to act like jews and get circumcised and these sorts of things a Judaism taught that in order for a Christian to be truly right with God, he must conform to the Mosaic Law. He must be circumcised if he's a male, uh, and basically, they, the Judaizers, promoted all of these things as absolutely necessary to salvation. Man, if you don't go and get circumcised and start obeying the Mosaic Law, I don't care how much you believe in Jesus, it's not enough. This is what they taught. Gentiles had to become Jewish converts first and then they could come to Christ. <laughs> it, it, I, it, I almost sense that there's some bigotry in the way they think because being Jewish was so important to these Judaizers that you had to become that before you could become a Christian. The doctrine of the Judaizers was a mixture of grace you know, through Christ And works through keeping the law. This false doctrine was dealt with in Acts chapter 15 throughout the whole chapter primarily, and it was strongly, or it is strongly, condemned here in the book of Galatians. I say this with all sensitivity because I know that we have, there's potentially a Roman Catholic or two in here, or maybe an ex Roman Catholic or two in here, and I say this with love in my heart and with all sensitivity. Um, the Roman Catholic Church actually teaches doctrines that are similar to that of the Judaizers. Uh, The Roman, Roman Catholic dogma or doctrine is really a mixture of grace plus law. It really is. At the Council of Trent in the 16th century, the papacy, that's the Roman Catholic leadership structure, including the Pope, it explicitly denied the idea of salvation by grace alone through faith alone which is what the bible teaches now the issues for the first century judasers were circumcision and in keeping the law and keeping the sabbath the issues for modern day roman catholics are baptism and confirmation and penance and all of this long laundry list of things that you have to do to be saved So, the parallels are uncanny. They're right on the money between ancient Judaizers and Roman Catholicism. It's right there. Both of them have this grace plus faith plus works kind of false doctrine. Now, that's not to say that there aren't Roman Catholics who are actually saved because some of them don't believe that stuff within their movement. They just are trusting in Christ alone. They don't pray to Mary, they don't pray to saints, they don't do those things. So, it depends on the parish. But for the most part, Roman Catholicism as a whole is identical to the Judaizers with different things that you have to observe. The beliefs are still the same. And and this was ultimately condemned back then at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 that we read about, which happened shortly after this. Uh, Let's see. Paul says it very plainly in Galatians 2. Uh, verse 16, he says, a man is not justified by observing the law. Now, he's not talking about the speed limit. Slow your camel down, pal. <laughs> he's not talking about that. He's talking about observance to the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments and those sorts of laws and ordinances. He's saying a man is, is not justified, a man is not made right before God by observing the law, but by faith in he says this in chapter 2 verse 16 so he's he's laying out the true gospel even over there in chapter 2 verse 16 it's it's not a works thing Christ is the one who did the works he went to the cross he bore our sins he suffered the wrath of God he's the one we are saved by works his works not our works it's a faith thing for us in Christianity. It's a faith alone thing. It's a grace alone thing. It's a, it's a Christ alone thing. That, that's what ultimately sets Christianity, true Christianity, apart from all other religions. All other religions teach that it's a, it's a mixture of, of maybe God's mercy plus everything that you're doing. That's what all religion teaches. But Christianity, according to the Bible, teaches that it's a grace and a faith alone thing. There's no earning. That's the beauty of it. Because if we have to earn it, there's going to come a point where I don't do very well at that, and I'm going to lose it. It's a grace and a faith thing. To add anything, to add anything to the finished work of Christ, all that he did on the cross to, make, to, to accomplish salvation for his people, to add anything to the finished work of Christ. Because remember, he himself said it is finished. He didn't say well it's partly finished you believe in me and then do your part while he was dying he said it's finished it's done it's over to add anything to the finished work of christ on the cross is ultimately to negate god's grace it is we are saved by grace alone through faith alone not by returning to the law and trying to obey the law and do all these things to please God. That doesn't bring us salvation. And that is precisely what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 2, verses 21. He says, if we could be made righteous, if righteousness could be gained through obedience to the law, then Christ died for nothing. He died for no reason. He died on the cross for us because we can't obey God's law perfectly. That's what He did for us. that's the good news of the gospel. I stink at obeying God's law. Christ did it for me, so I put my trust in him. That's the true gospel. Now you've got to understand that Satan and his demons they do their deceptive work usually through human beings and almost uh, and, and most often, pardon me, and most often through fake religious leaders or through religious leaders posing as, as true religious leaders, false ones. It was False teachers claiming to preach the gospel who were most successful in weakening the early church, epitomized by the legalistic Judaizers who wreaked spiritual havoc on the churches in Galatia. I mean, Satan was literally working through these Judaizers to undermine Paul, cast out his apostolic authority, cast out his teachings, and to uh, insert a false gospel into these churches. Satan working through false teachers, human agents. That's what was happening, and it was wreaking havoc in these churches. Satan's primary tar- target for false teaching is and always has been the doctrine of salvation, how God actually saves people. Why? Because if people are confused about that, he can keep them under his control, under his influence, in darkness, right? In sin, under his power, under his sway. Man, if we don't know how salvation works, how, how could we possibly be saved? And Satan works to confound and to confuse all of that. And he does it through false teachers like the papacy. He does it through false teachers like Judaizers. Satan teaches lies about many things, about church organization, about Christian living, about the Lord's return, and many, many other things. But his first concern is to always undermine the heart of the gospel, which is salvation by grace through the person and work of the Lord Jesus it has nothing to do with our efforts our efforts cannot achieve it for us it's by simply believing in what Christ has done satan has perpetuated many distorted versions of the gospel throughout church history i don't know if you're aware of that i'll name some isms for you but i'm not going to go into each of them that would be for another time docetism was one of the early heresies the church had to deal with and then came gnosticism and then came monarchianism or modalism then came Arianism, and that's not like a white supremacy thing, that's the denial of the deity of Christ. Uh, You have Pelagianism, you have semi-Pelagianism, you have Arminianism, which came around in the 16th century, you have antinomianism, you have Mormonism and Sabbatarianism and Jehovah Witnessism. There are near endless isms that Satan has been able to perpetuate through false teachers. And the church, this has had a devastating effect on people. And the church has had to combat all of these things throughout its history. And guess what? He's still at it today. He's still doing it today. He's still perpetuating false gospels and, and having false teachers in, in places. And uh, he's got basically the, the devil and the demons have false teachers scattered throughout the U.S., all over the world, preaching a variety of perverted, distorted versions of the gospel. Uh, here's some examples the religion gospel. This is ultimately what the Judaizers were teaching. We're we're saved by what we do. You know, uh, on the day of judgment, God's going to look at all people and he's going to get out the scales and, and wow, this guy right here has more good good things that he's done than bad things and so the good will outweigh the bad and I'm going to let him into the kingdom. I'm going to let him in. That's the, the false religion gospel. That's everywhere. That's all false religion and sadly some parts of Christianity have that you have the moralism gospel that's ultimately you're saved by being good if you're a good person you're going to be saved by God because God is just crazy about good people the funny thing is the Bible says no one is good not one and yet somehow this one's very very successful and I I would find it the hardest to do if I were into false gospels I mean being super moral and and doing all these things right being a good person that's not an easy thing for any of us to do right we do it pretty good on Tuesday, but then when we're driving, we give somebody the one-finger peace sign, and it's like, well, there goes the moralism. I mean, it, it just, how can anyone maintain that? How can we maintain this high level of morality? We're, we're sinners, and it's hard for us to do, but that's a false gospel that's very popular. You have the prosperity gospel, right? Ultimately, what... These proponents and false teachers teach, and I'm not saying everyone in the charismatic movement or that is a false teacher. There are some good godly men out there, but for the most part, the prosperity gospel is a scourge. It ultimately teaches that salvation will inevitably, it has no choice but to lead to physical riches and health. If you believe in Jesus, this is what will come to you regardless, no matter what. This is hugely popular today. And America Created it in 1906 and has been exporting it to other countries, especially to Africa, where people are really very desperate. They don't even have water. People, These guys are flying it in their jets and saying, look, if you believe in Jesus, your cows won't die, your wife won't miscarry, you'll have corn rows, right? And not this type. You'll actually have corn growing where you've planted it. Right, And then they fly out of there, and then they've left the people in this situation where they're waiting for God to do these things because they now believe in Jesus, and these things never come. It's a travesty, and they fly away with all that money. The prosperity gospel, it's horrible. You have the self-help gospel, and that's the idea that Jesus died to make better versions of ourselves, right? He he came to die a, a bloody, brutal death to make a new and improved you. That's why he came. What a joke. No matter what I do, I'm never new or improved. (laughs) Self help gospel. That's the idea that, well, you know what? God helps those who help themselves. Right? Was that Ben Franklin who said that? Or was he the one that said godliness is next to cleanliness? Or I don't know. Who knows? Those founding fathers, you know, everyone says they were all Christians. Well, they had some weird theology if they were Christians. You've got the signs and wonders gospel, right? Those who are truly saved, those who are really, really saved, really in Jesus, they are going to wield divine power and they are going to perform miracles and they're going to be able to perform healings and they're going to speak in strange tongues, shabba-laba-ding-dong. To, it's all going to happen. That's the sign that somebody's been truly saved. That's the signs and wonders gospel. It's a false gospel. You've got the therapeutic gospel. This is popular today. I mean, we live in an age where when kids on a college campus get upset, they have to have a petting session with a puppy. I feel so bad. Oh, I feel better that I'm petting this puppy. The therapeutic gospel. Uh, Jesus died to make us special and to fill our lives with mountaintop spiritual experiences and good vibes. Don't use the phrase good vibes, Christians. Therapeutic gospel. He just came to make you feel better about yourself and to to lift up and to to magnify and to exalt and to amplify your self-esteem. funny, the Bible says the beginning of salvation is being very, very low, very humble. Then you've got the American gospel. This is being saved by that old glory and that flag, saved by trusting in the God of America, uh, we, we see this God, and, and some people would say, well, that's Christ. I don't think it is at all, but we see this God mentioned on our money, don't we? In God we trust, right? We, we hear this God mentioned in our pledge, right, under God. This God is supported by presidents and patriots everywhere, and believe me, I am not, I am not interested in attacking patriots. I consider myself to be a very patriotic person, but I am a Christian first. But this American gospel, I think Trump really pumped this, this idea of patriotism and this, this God, but where and when did you hear anyone talking about Jesus during the last four years? He didn't talk about Jesus because Jesus isn't the God of this land. It's basically the God of America is, it, it's in name only and then every American is entitled to put their own meaning to that word. In America, God is what you want God to be. That's the American gospel, and it is super, super popular today. You've got the social justice gospel. We're getting going down further down the wormhole here. The social justice gospel, that's where, you know, man, I tell you, if you're actually saved by Jesus, if you really are, then you're going to be out there feeding the poor, and you're going to be out there helping the sick. You're going to be out there... Uh, you know um, fighting injustice against the marginalized I mean it's all about that that's how you please God that's how you exhibit or that's how you are saved is by doing all of these things for people who are poor or marginalized or whatever And it, boy let me tell you I'm not promoting not doing something for them I think that if you are truly saved you are gonna want to help people you are gonna want to love people but they say basically that's salvation I don't get saved by handing a homeless guy a sandwich that's an act of compassion And then you've got the woke gospel, the woke gospel. How many are familiar with that term today? Woke, that's a big one, right? Uh, What do they call it now, woke cola Because Coca-Cola got woke. They have white people going through training to become less white. I don't know how you do that. I've been scrubbing. It doesn't come off. The woke gospel, that's you're saved by being aware of systemic racism You're saved by being aware of transphobia. You're saved by doing whatever is necessary to rid those things from our land. Do I, am I supporting racism by saying this? Absolutely not. I hate racism. It's a scourge. It's anti-biblical. It's disgusting. But we're not saved by the level of anti-racism we promote. These are all perverted, false distorted versions of the gospel that are everywhere and all around us satan is still doing it in fact every year i feel like he has a new bag of tricks and it's easy for him to lure christians who love jesus into this ridiculousness i'm so glad i got off social media a few years back i'd probably be getting slammed for not joining blm And that's what they're into today. And it just just makes no sense. It's a distraction from the mission of the church, which is to go forth and preach the gospel. That's our mission. And when we preach the gospel and hearts are changed, racism ends. It ends in the lives of people. But it's not something that we we can end by just going out there and yelling about it. When people are changed and their hearts are changed, they become different people. That's the whole idea. Christ changes people. Those who are in Christ are a new creation. The racism starts to go away. The bigotry starts to go away. The the phobias or whatever start to go away. But that Christian loves the truth. And Satan's just got this stuff everywhere now. It's so popular today. False gospels, distorted versions of the gospel. Paul is dealing with one in his time and space, in his context. We're dealing with one now. And we're not hearing about these things from the pulpits anymore. Pastors aren't addressing these things, and they need to because people are getting swept up in these movements. Let's move to verse 8. It's time to just calm down a little bit. (laughs) Take a drink. This is actually gin. No, it's not. It's water. Got to mellow out a little bit. I get pretty passionate when, when you get these false gospels going out there because ultimately people land in hell because of them, and that's something that we should all be concerned about, shouldn't we? He says, but even, listen to this, this is intense. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, he's talking about before, he says, let him be accursed. Ooh. Hmm. Paul warns the Galatians that if anyone, an apostle or even an angel from heaven, he's using hyperbole here, if, if, if an apostle or anyone in any sort of authority, even if I should come to you, he says we, right? But even if we should come to you later on and preach a false gospel, he says, if anyone, whether it be an apostle or a false teacher, some kind of guy that thinks he's a teacher but he's a false, if anyone, even an angel from heaven, were to come to you and preach a gospel that's different than the one we preached, let him be accursed you can't get a stronger warning here against false teachers and false gospels. Yeah, he was speaking hypothetically here when he talked about an angel and all that, but for the most part, his, the truth of his statement stands. Do not accept a person's preaching, no matter who they are, if it does not square with the gospel that we preach to you. That's what he's saying. Now you have to ask yourself a question here, and that question is, what is the gospel that Paul preached to the Galatians and to the churches that he planted, and uh, maybe secondary question is, did he summarize this gospel that he preached, the one he's referring to here, did he summarize it anywhere in his epistles? And the answer is absolutely yes, yes he did. We find a short, concise description of the gospel according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4, I'll read it, listen to what he said to the Corinthians who had to deal with the Judaizers, by the way, they were all over that place going into all the different churches. They were, it was like they were on a circuit and just touring around and going around and jacking up churches. Paul says this to the Corinthians in 15, verses 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are saved. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He's talking about receiving this gospel from Christ. Now Listen. Here is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That right there, my friends, is the gospel in a nutshell. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sin. It's Christ's work. He's the one that did it. That's what Paul is saying. It's all him and it's his work. Now we have to ask another question. Did Paul summarize how the gospel is applied to sinners such as you and I. How is it applied to us? How do we receive it? Yes, he summarized it, especially in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9. He says this, "...for by grace you have been saved through faith." That's how the grace comes to you. "...you have been saved by grace through faith." And then listen to what he says, "...and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God." not a result of works it's not a result of works and why does he say that he follows that with why why is it not a result of works so that no one can boast about salvation well I brought myself into it look at what I did nobody will be able to do that before God because it's all God and it's all by grace so according to Paul the gospel is the death of Jesus Christ for our sins the burial of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in accordance with scripture. And it is applied to us by grace through faith, not because of our works. This, my friends, is the gospel that Paul preached to the Galatians and to everyone else he preached to during his three missionary journeys. When he planted these churches, that's the gospel he preached. At no point did he ever say, you're going to be saved by what you do. Never. It's always been a grace through faith thing, according to the works of Christ, not our works. And he says, if a person were to come in and preach something other than this gospel that I preach, the one that I just read to you from Ephesians and Corinthians, if someone were to come in and preach something other than this, calling it gospel, they are what? Accursed. Accursed. It's an interesting Greek word behind accursed, It is anathema. Anathema. Have you ever heard that word, anathema? It mean, listen to what anathema. How it. What it means. How it is by. Uh, what it means by definition. It means to be consigned to damnation. It means to be eternally condemned. Eternally condemned. It actually appears six times in the New Testament. Only six. False teachers like the Judaisers who preached a gospel that is contrary to the gospel that we see in Scripture, the gospel that Paul preached. We see it everywhere here in the New Testament. They are false false teachers who teach something other than that. They are very plainly anathema. They are consigned to damnation. They are eternally condemned to hell. In fact, I, I tend to believe that God has a special place in hell for such people do I think he's got a special place in hell for false teachers those who go around masquerading as Christians and teaching Christians and others a false gospel I think there's a special place that's just a bit hotter I do there are varying degrees of punishment under the Mosaic law and if you go back and read Leviticus and Deuteronomy all that where you see the law there especially Leviticus for example if your ox injured your neighbor's ox you had to pay up Well, your bull caused the death of that bull. That's a bunch of bull, by the way. You're going to have to pay. Exodus 21, verse 35. So, So there's a punishment under the Mosaic law for your animal injuring another animal. And then here's another example. If you slept with your neighbor's wife, you and her were put to death. Leviticus 20, verse 10. That's another degree of punishment and a depth of punishment. That's the death penalty for adultery celebrated today in our culture, by the way, but back during this time they were put to death for it. In fact, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Frank Sinatra was an adulterer and he went to prison for it. Did you know that about him? His music's wonderful. Now I say this because there are varying degrees of punishment under the Mosaic law. Why can't there be varying degrees of punishment in hell with the absolute worst being reserved for those who twist the gospel and deceive people? Jesus said on, that on Judgment Day, it will be much worse for cities like Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, because why? They rejected him after he performed numerous signs and wonders on their streets, Matthew eleven twenty through 24. In fact, if you go back and read it yourself, he actually says that those cities will be worse off than Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of Judgment. That shows that there are varying degrees of punishment in hell. It's terrifying to think. The author of Hebrews wrote this. He said, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? Hebrews 10.29. We see a deeper level of punishment for those who trample the gospel underfoot. And I would say to extend that to those who teach a false gospel. Now, what do... Christians today say about false teachers like Joel Osteen, like T.D. Jakes, maybe like Joseph Prince, those characters? What do they say about those types of false teachers that we see on TV? We see their books in the bookstores and all of that. What do they say about the likes of these wolves, these false teachers? They say things like this, which are absolutely ridiculous. I know those guys are off a bit, but maybe God can still work through them and bring people to Jesus through their ministries you know it's almost like there's a, a a willful denial of the severity of their their crime in a preaching a false gospel but they say well you know maybe it's just a, it's you know it's not my flavor of Christianity it's a different flavor you know or uh it's a it's a different kind of path but it ultimately leads to the same thing this is what Christians say about the false teachers of our day rather than saying what they should say Do you know what Paul would say if he were here today? I'm talking about the guy who wrote this. Do you know what he would say of Joel Osteen? He is anathema. That's what he would say. Do you know what he would say of T.D. Jakes? He is accursed. That's what he would say. He is damned. What would he say of Joseph Prince who preaches a prosperity gospel? He is condemned. That's what he would say. If he's saying it of the Judaizers who preached a distorted false gospel, he would certainly say it of the false teachers that we have around us today. Why do Christians do this? Why do they play so fast and loose and light with the false teachers of today? Why are evangelicals so weak when it comes to identifying and calling out false teachers in our land? I know why. It's because they are more concerned about being liked and accepted by everyone rather than defending the truth that's the problem today well I don't want to be disliked I don't want to be treated poorly right I live in the land of milk and honey and I want my life to be blessed and if I start calling these guys out it's not going to go well they want comfort when I was uh, on Facebook years ago Christians would attack me with an endless barrage of nasty criticism when I said something derogatory about a popular false teacher, if I would post an article about Osteen and warn people or something like that, or when I would expose some poisonous false doctrine. I mean, they would just come out of the woodwork and just pile on the insults. I had one guy tell me through instant uh, messenger, he said, may the Lord break your neck. (laughs) And I was like, oh my goodness, he did it. No, he didn't. He literally said that. That was a curse that he pronounced on me because because I was preaching against the false gospel that says that homosexuality is okay and God's pleased with it. That's not that I hate gay people. I certainly don't. That would make me the worst Christian in the world. I love people just as you love people. But a false gospel that approves of homosexuality puts people right in hell. And it's, it's tragic and it's sad. But if I said anything at all toward anyone, there there were quote-unquote Christians coming out of the woodwork to attack and to sting. It was like you stirred up a hornet's nest. And this is why I left Facebook in 2017. I got tired of being verbally assaulted by the people I was trying to protect. Christians on Facebook are like the ancient Israelites. They stiffen their necks when they hear the truth and they kill their prophets. Just like the ancient Israelites. Paul uses the harshest word he could think of when describing the Judaizers, anathema, accursed. And this should shape the way we think and speak of false teachers. I'm not saying, hey, go on Facebook and start calling all the false teachers you know of cursed. It might be a good idea. I'll tell you, you're going to suffer. But it should shape the way that we think and speak of them. We shouldn't be soft toward them, but we certainly shouldn't be mean toward them. In fact, I think it wouldn't be wrong at all for us to use Paul's exact language in Galatians 1.8. If the Bible can say it, why can't we? But we must be loving. We must be kind. And Paul is doing this because he wants to preserve these people. He doesn't want to see them fall into this thing all the way. The fact of the matter is false teachers are anathema. That's what the Bible says. And guess what? They must be warned of impending doom. They must be. And if we find one in our midst, if we find ourselves in the midst of some kind of false teacher who's spewing some of this apostasy, this heresy, and and we confront them, we must firstly confront them. And if he or she refuses to repent after being lovingly admonished, they have to be removed from our congregations. We can't let them stay there. It's the way it works. If we let savage wolves enter and remain in the sheep pen, they will begin to devour the sheep. And this was happening in the Galatian churches. Where were the under shepherds? Where were the elders? Right? It's their job to protect the sheep. Where were they in these Galatian churches? Well, I suspect they were part of the problem here. Because godly elders would have driven the Judaizers out. You have no place here. Go. And that's not what's happening. They've got a foothold in these churches. And Paul is astonished at how quickly all this is playing out, and he's really getting into it. He calls these lethal, venomous, false teachers, anathema, you are cursed. What a warning he issues to them and to these Christians. Let's move to verse 9, last verse. He says, as we have said it, as, as we have said before, like he's just saying, hey, I'm repeating myself here, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received from us, let him be accursed. Paul is doubling down. He's repeating his warning here. This further illustrates the seriousness of the matter at hand. False teachers and distorted versions of the gospel are no laughing matter. It's not a joke. Certainly not. they're not perpetuating some kind of hybrid. They must be taken seriously. They must be addressed especially in our community. There are false churches and false teachers and distorted versions of the gospel all around us right here in our own community. You don't have to go far to find them. They're right here. The 18th century Irish statesman and philosopher Edmund Burke once said, and you'll know this saying because I think JFK quoted it, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Now since the Bible says that God alone is good, right? There are no good men. God alone is good. Mark 10 verse 18, Cameron preached on that a few weeks back. And since Burke was referring primarily to political issues, I think we need to modify it a little bit here and have our own version. He's not here to defend himself. (laughs) I would say this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil in our churches is for godly men and women to do nothing. To do nothing about this. To sit on their hands and to say, well that's just his view. That's a postmodern way to think. That's not a biblical way to think. These things have to be addressed, or it just festers and spreads like cancer, like wildfire. And I think that as a Burke was a devout Anglican, and Anglicanism wasn't so bad back in his day. It's got deviated from, from the truth and from the true gospel over time. Not all of it, but some of it has. But I think he would probably agree as a devout Anglican with our version. Inactivity allows evil to flourish in every context, in every context, in society, in politics, in the church. Wherever there is inactivity, evil has the ability to flourish, to spread. Paul is modeling a proper Christian response to evil false teachers. Call them what they are. Publicly rebuke them. That's what we're to do especially the elders of churches. They're not to say, well, that's just their Jesus lane. It's not a Jesus lane. It's a broad road to hell. And I'll tell you what Paul does. He reminds me of John MacArthur, who is kind of the Paul of our day. J. Mac has been faithfully preaching God's word, calling out false teachers and exposing distorted versions of the gospel for 50 plus years. I'm very thankful for his, his courage and his boldness I'm very thankful for his unwavering commitment to Scripture and to sound doctrine. And guess what? We, as the people of God, are to be no less committed, no less. We should be offended by false teachers and distorted versions of the gospel. They attack God. They attack the Word of God. John Calvin cleverly said at one point, a dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked, and yet I remain silent. It's cowardly. Cowardly. A few years back, a brother in Christ told me that we shouldn't get offended. We shouldn't try to defend God or the Word of God when God and the Word of God are attacked. We shouldn't do anything about it. God is big enough to defend himself. We don't have to get involved in that and potentially break peace. When he was trying to argue with me and persuade me to back off and to not make some of these things public and all that. He was trying to do that. And I replied to him, do you get offended and defensive when someone attacks your spouse or child? Hmm? Of course you do, but you're telling me it's somehow not okay for us to get offended and defensive when people attack the God who saved us from sin, Satan, death, and hell. Somehow it's okay to get fired up when somebody calls your wife something, but when somebody calls God something, that's a no-no. I don't understand your logic. I'm having a hard time following you here. To which he just kind of bowed his head and went, eh, eh. You know, Paul was offended here, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. He was offended. He called the Judaizers anathema twice. The strongest possible word he could conjure and think of in that moment as he's writing this, they are damned for doing this to you. That's what he's saying. And I would say that is hardcore. That is hardcore. You know what? Paul was ultimately concerned about the spiritual welfare of these dear brothers and sisters, these Galatian Christians. That's his ultimate concern. That's why he's fired up. He's ultimate goal was to lead them back to the true gospel, not to spend all his time castigating false teachers. He's teaching us here what we do. We identify them, call them out by name, but we focus primarily on preaching the true gospel and leading people to the true gospel, more so than just fighting these arguments and and, and fighting this battle of calling all these people out all the time. That's a miserable position to be in. Nobody wants to do that, but it has to be done. But the primary goal is to make sure that the true gospel is going out. And that's what Paul does. That's an example as well that we must follow. Exposing false teachers and distorted versions of the gospel is absolutely necessary at times, but we do it to lead people to the true gospel. If we truly care about the spiritual welfare of others, we will do both when the Spirit prompts us to engage. We will call that what it is, and we will preach the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus by grace through faith alone. That's what we will do. And that is the true gospel, friends. The true gospel is about grace alone. And this grace comes to us through faith alone, not by works, not by our efforts. We can't earn it. Grace and faith are, are gifts from God, Ephesians 2.8.9. They cannot be merited, they cannot be earned, they cannot be acquired, they cannot be bought. Adding anything to grace and faith distorts the gospel and those who do this, and those who do that, and those who teach others to follow their example, they are as plainly as I can say it, as plainly as Paul can say it, anathema accursed. That is the meaning of Galatians 1, 6 through 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear the word of God. Let him obey the word of God. Amen.